You know how when you're with someone for a really long time and it's just the two of you and it's like you really like that person. You love them, in fact. But you just kind of want to make other people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and you want to do it in intimate and close quarters over a bottle of wine. And you just... We're l- really <laughs> you also want to introduce others, particularly people that you like, to the genre of romance where everybody can feel good, empowered, and get into this stuff, you know that they're into. Absolutely. And sometimes you want to take people who know way more than you do and also bring them into the fold. Exactly. On this week's episode of Romance, we are so excited to introduce you to someone who is near and dear to our hearts and is about to be near and dear to yours. That was so good. Thank you. So buckle up, Buttercup. We got something new and something delicious just for you. (sighs) Was I supposed to do that? I'm Morgan. And I'm Sean. And this is Womance, a podcast about romance novels. Growing up as a hard knocks boy. It's about tell-all novels. Brothels that aren't so brothelly. Oh, not so brothelly. It's also about really nice guys who write children's books, but... Like, at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know. They aren't exciting. They aren't exciting. Which is concerning and not surprising in any way whatsoever. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. But most of all, it's about the first thing. And I would argue it's also about ourselves, our popular culture, ourselves. Yes, it is. And this week, we are talking about Suddenly You by Lisa Claypass. I've never been suddenly me, so it was quite exciting to find out. (laughs) I've never been suddenly me. How long were you sitting on that? 12 days. <laughs> it paid off. A solid 12 days. One thing I came on here that I knew I had to say. This week, I am joined by my special guest, my friend, Sean. Howdy, everybody. Sean is joining me because Isabeau's taking a well-deserved week off, and we decided the emotional labor of producing this podcast should fall onto the shoulders of the male contingent. And also, we're talking about Lisa Claypost. And I thought if we're going to talk about the Danielle Steele for our generation, as I have postulated, we need to bring on someone who's going to have a completely different perspective, right? I feel like everything that could be said about Lisa Claypost has been said, except for what Sean has to say. And it's going to be terribly exciting because I am familiar with Danielle Steele because I think every woman that I grew up with on my mother's side of the family had at least 12 of her novels. 12 Danielle Steele novels? At at minimum. Did you read any of them? I think I paged through a couple, but never like sat down. Did you find any of the sexy parts? I don't think so. Our friend, we have a friend who is at Jen Reads Romance on Twitter, and she has a 14-year-old son, and she's really worried about him, like, finding sexual material that's going to be, like, not destructive to females, so she started leaving her romance novels around. Just hoping, out? Like, yeah, open to hoping, those pages? Hoping that he'll, like... That's yeah. crafty. Good for you, Jen. You know, it's either that or it's, like, the lingerie section of a Sears catalog. Yeah. As far as, like, healthy masturbation material for young boys. Mm. I'm not sure that a Sears catalog is healthy material anymore. Why? What's going on in Sears catalogs nowadays? Well, I don't think it's anything different than it ever was, except for that it probably got wrapped up in the Photoshop contingency that is our generation. So I don't bet that's true. But the nice thing is, those photos are meant for 
the consumption of women. So the male gaze is like, I think, a little bit more absent from a Sears catalog lingerie section for Playtex. That's true. Minimizer bras than it is in like anything you'd find. Maybe that's a way of like kind of like taking it back. We're, <laughs> we're forcing you to look at these things that we find appropriate as a the female audience. Yeah, you think it's like uh, always and I been say like we a, as if I were hypothetically a woman. Yeah, but you're not. Me. You're not. Speaking. No, I'm. Do you want to share your other identities? The singular identity I have is that I am not a woman. Can I mention that you are not a woman and you also have a mustache? You you can. Yes. Okay. I do have a mustache. But I think it's important to understand what's going on. And my mustache apparently is critical to my understanding. <laughs> so I chose this book because it is by my friends who read romance novels. They're like, this is one of the best ones. And I also wanted to give you something that's going to be like, I think your classical idea of romance, like it's good in all the ways romance should be good. And it's weird in all the ways romance is normally weird, but it wouldn't give you anything to like hide behind. Like you couldn't be like, oh, aliens having sex. You know, like I wanted to give you something that was pretty straightforward. I felt that. I felt that as I was reading this book. Yeah. It seemed very specific to the genre yeah Yeah, it's like okay this makes sense so i wasn't shocked by anything you weren't actually that's not true the level of detail in which she (laughs) described the most unimportant things i was fascinated by like Like, what what would be an unimportant thing the furniture and the brand of furniture from that century i was like i looked up like every single one i was fascinated (laughs) how did you know what how much research did you do writing this book i wonder Lisa Claypaw outsources her historical research, or she does it herself. I mean, if she does, kudos to her because she was she was spot on. I felt it as she was sitting on that suvave chair. Yeah. I was like, man, I can feel this chair after looking up what this looking chair looks after like. After Googling yeah. it. Yeah, I was like, Miss Amanda Breyers would sit in this gray chair. Why, is, why would Miss Amanda Breyers sit in that specific chair? Because as an aged 30-year-old spinster... It pro- aged? That's <laughs> oh not how God. I would describe it. Then That's how she was described in the novel. <laughs> At the beginning of the novel, the fact that she calls herself a spinster at 30 assumes that she is aged in her own mind. Okay, okay. But anyway, (laughs) it's both an elegant piece of furniture that is also comfortable enough to where she doesn't have to worry about her posture at all times. In leisure. Leisure, I apologize, listeners. You know, corsetry and also like men's clothing of the era was so tight that you could not slouch. I'm slouching right now, listeners, and I hate it. This was written in 2003. What were you doing in 2003? I don't know. How old was I in 2003? 11? Yeah, I was 11. Yeah, 2003, I would have been in the seventh grade. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Puberty. Puberty, yeah. Terrible? I was not a late bloomer. Puberty was underway at that point. I don't think it was for me. (laughs) Probably at 11? Probably not. I don't think so. Probably not. I was still very goofy, chubby in all the wrong places with glasses. That made me look like Harry Potter. It is very good. I actually, if this part makes it to the final episode, I might request one of your challenge photos because they're very good. Because they're very good. I feel like so far everyone who has appeared on this podcast looked like a Harry Potter in their childhood. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, 13, tearing it up at A. Hubert Middle School. By the time I left, I'd made my mark. There was some graffiti in the boys' locker room referring to my breasts. Ah, commies 
commies. <laughs> they are very communistic, I think. If there's anything that's for the people about me. <laughs> but I... <laughs> the most outwardly facing... It was pretty... Um, I was actually pretty proud of it because it was between me and one of my friends and it said, Morgan has a nice rack and then it said, my friend's name has a nice ass and then you like put a tally mark next to which statement you felt strongest about. And uh, I did okay. And honestly, my friend could have been the nice rack. They could have just been like, she has a nice rack, she has a nice ass. Could have been judging her solely. Yeah, her alone. She would have knocked it out of the park. I was just glad to be nominated. Wow. And I did pretty good on the tally marks. How did you find out the final talent? Oh, camera phones were <laughs> a thing by the end so of it. So who was, who was the savvy lad that felt the need to snap such a picture? I mean, all of them once they got you. a camera phone. And it wasn't like a subtle thing. It wasn't like someone like walked up to me in the hall and was like, hey, you want to see something? It was like very much like a, yeah. we were like headed into high school. We were just like high on our own nostalgia. <laughs> I guess. So they had to knock you down a peg? That's what that was? Yeah, I don't know. Was, I mean, it, it did a, not knock me down a peg. Well, like I said, I was just happy to be nominated. Right, there you go. I felt, it felt like I, I had reached a status I was unaware I had. Interesting. Okay, so finish your pizza. Do I have to? And then give us, a, give us a summary of the book. Okay, I'll give you the summary of the book. So our protagonist, is that what they're called in this? Heroine. Heroine. My apologies, mea culpa. Our heroine, Miss Amanda Bryars, is a novelist in London from originally hailing from Windsor, which I am not familiar with London's geography, so I don't yeah. know where that is in relation yeah. to city proper itself. She decides that on her 30th birthday, she would like to finally copulate, and in doing so, not having any male suitor that she finds appropriate, chooses to attend Miss Bradshaw's brothel. Uh-huh. And so she requests the, I was going to say gigolo, but I don't want to. <laughs> What's the crazy word they use in the book? I can't That remember. I'd never heard before. It starts with an S, right? Yeah. Anyway, the gentleman caller arrives, and unbeknownst to her is not whom she believed him to be. He ends up being Jack Devlin, a notorious publisher in London, mm -hmm. who is come to his status through unacceptable means amongst the aristocracy and she ends up liking Mr. Devlin and continuing a short-lived affair with him believing that she must for the good of herself and him end the affair at a specific time although she cut it short it was supposed to be three months right yeah I think it lasted like a month then they both hated it she got pregnant, kind of fell in love with another man who was not nearly as exciting, but very nice in his own way, and then ended up not marrying him and marrying Jack instead. Yeah. And, listeners, having a child with another on the way. There we go. After a miscarriage. After a miscarriage. So, kind of the fairy tale ending. <laughs> with a really depressing Middle. detour. Yeah. You know, it's all the excitement you could ever want. That was a really good summary. Did you have that prepared? No, that was on the fly. Wow, you did a really great job. Yeah, I thought about preparing a statement, but again, uh -huh. all I wanted to say was that I've never been, whatever the title of this novel is again. Suddenly me. I've never been suddenly, suddenly me. me. Do you think when you're born, you're suddenly you? I guess it depends on who you ask. My cousin, she has four kids, and she had them pretty close together. 
And one time I, when she was pregnant with her second, I was like, what's it like? And she was like, you know, it's kind of, when they're first born, they're babies, you know? But then once they get to be like three, they start to become an actual person. And that's so much fun, like watching them become a person. Yeah, I can see that being exciting. But then also, I don't want to ever have to deal with teenage years. Ever? Like what's appropriate and what's not. Like, they're going to learn this shit anyway, Yeah. right? Why not cut to the chase? So would you send your child off to a brutal day school like Jack Devlin's father did? Yes. Yeah. For the good (laughs) of his character to ensure that he would become obnoxiously wealthy and find the woman of his dreams or person of his dreams, excuse me, all at once. Yeah, yeah. It's probably worth it. (laughs) It's probably worth it. A few beatings? Like, come on. In every romance novel, the hero has to have some kind of great hardship. And usually the heroine has one as well. But it's weird, like, the heroines tend to be, like, something that's pervasive throughout their lives. Like, poverty or being the youngest of, like, eight sisters and having no brothers or something like that. But the hero's hardship tends to be, like, some great catastrophic event. And I think that's true in this book. Oh, it certainly is. What did you think of Jack as a person? He ended up being exactly what I thought he would be as I was reading this book, which is, to your point again, like the traditional plot of these stories, where he goes through a hardship that makes him think he is unlovable, unwantable, a bad person, quote unquote, but ends up finding what he wants, kind of due to the sacrifice of the heroine, I would say. So I'm really curious, what was it like reading a book that was meant for women and like how they described Jack as like a sexually desirable being? I'm... I'm not sure. I think I appreciated the level of detail in which he was described. Like, I could picture this person perfectly. Yeah. And as I was reading through the sex scenes, it made it easier to understand what they were doing. Like, his character as a whole. You know, the parts where he gets her to engage in the acts that are described in Madame Bradshaw's novel. Uh The book that he publishes for her. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. It didn't throw me off. I guess. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of what you were getting at. Well, it, and I don't know if it like threw you off, but did you even notice it at all? That this was like a book that was about... Yes. I, I think I did, simply because in the writing he was overly sexualized. And then <laughs> when he was describing her to her, most often, she was also very sexualized. But I think that makes sense because it's kind of the point of the book. Yeah. It's a right? sex book. Yeah. That's so you, true. you need as much detail as possible to engage. So this was like... A book with a lot of sex scenes. Like, even for a romance novel, this is a lot. Yeah, I wondered that (laughs) as I was going through it. Because it took a while to get up to it, I thought. Like, for me, I was like, man, this... She really built it up. Yeah. I mean, the beginning was obviously a sex act, but it's not what anybody was reading it for. You sound like such a cop. <laughs> the beginning was obviously mean? a sex act. Well, it was. It was. But like, sex act is such an interesting way to describe it. The hookup. Is that your, like, better? I don't that know. That is less copy. That's what I strive to be at all times. Less so. copy. Not copy at all. Yeah, this was, like, a lot of sex, and it also has an anal scene and it fades to black but the fact that it's like in it it is understood what's happening yeah that's never happened in a book i've read. i wondered I oh like, i guess oh. that happened in priest it kind of had to right yeah i guess they're all modern people in yeah. priest yeah that was that definitely 
was not expecting. She kind of like ran the gamut as she was going through these, if that makes sense, yeah, you know? Yeah. She kind of led up to it. She's like, here's the hand stuff. Here's yeah. the mouth stuff. Here's, guess what, everybody? I'm going for it. Here's the butt stuff. Here's the butt stuff. But then it faded to black. She did not go into it. Yeah, which makes me wonder if that's like her own. Do you think maybe she's never done it before and she just thought she would include it and then she like didn't know how to describe it? Should we speculate that on this That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it would make a lot yeah. of sense. I think it's an easy assumption to make. Yeah, I think that's a nicer way of putting it. I was going to say that's like her own level of prude. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a bad thing. Well, then why would you use the word prude? Because I couldn't come up with a better synonym. <laughs> it's hard. I'm not a human thesaurus. Okay, that's fair. So did anything about the book surprise you? Besides, like, the level of detail? I think the anal scene did. The Charles Hartley piece came abruptly to me. Yeah! Because it just, like, cuts off. It's like they're at Stevenson's party, and they dance. Her shoe malfunctions in whatever way. The ribbon comes off or whatever it is. Yeah, that was a pretty nice scene. Yeah. Whenever he's fixing her shoe. Yeah, that was intense. That and was intense! I felt the level of awkwardness that she had, and also... So the mischief that he had in forcing her to be in a situation where other people were gawking at them. Mm. Which I was like, yeah, I would definitely do that to someone. You would definitely do what? Get mad at them because you were being made a spectacle of? No, be the person that made someone that spectacle. spectacle? Just like casually force them into the public eye. Just by laughing really loudly next to them? Yeah. Yeah. Seconded. At the end of that, he just like shows up out of nowhere. Uh And then the next thing, she's going on a bunch of dates with him, meeting his sister. Yeah. And then is pregnant. And it's just like, okay. But not with his That makes sense. And also there's one time where he doesn't use the tried and true pull out method of romance novels. And you And she got pregnant. No. She got knocked up. And you knew it was going to happen. And it was because he was super jealous. And he was aggressive, and it was one of the more like mm-hmm. gray area scenes yeah. of the book. You talk about that quite a bit. It like, happens throughout your podcast thus far, and all I'm the still time. having trouble with that. Like I just can't wrangle it. What do you mean? In a pirate's love, you discuss how rape fanny fantasy rape fanny. <laughs> Rape fantasy is like a legitimate (laughs) fantasy for people, and that's an acceptable and okay thing, which I acknowledge, but I just, I still can't wrap my head around how that is a a desired lovemaking. Yeah, like that's, that's something that people want. Right. And like, I also highlighted a lot of times the sex acts in this book are described as mortifying. Yeah. It happens more than once. Her, whenever we're from her. Like every time. Yeah, and anytime there's a sex scene from her perspective, there's something about mortifying. Which I think means, like, being mortified is kind of exciting. I totally see that. And for her. it makes a point for me to note, like, her, not innocence, but, like, inexperience throughout the entire process. And yeah. she kind of reasons it to be that instead of her yeah. not wanting to engage at that point. It starts out, I'm pretty sure, every sex scene with her, like, verbally saying no. And then it becomes a whisper and then just like fades out. Like yeah. it, there's pretty much an ellipsis used in every sex scene. She's like, no. And, and then it does, like and then it gets into like the really yeah, and then sexy the, the parts sexual of it. parts. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. I don't know. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I could get behind that. Just like that level of excitement. But then again, there's the whole BDSM scene that people obviously enjoy and Yeah. Not in the book, but like the scene in the world. Yeah, Yeah. in the world, that's a thing. 
which is an entirely different subsect. I think it's interesting that that's a thing. It's certainly not a thing for me, so I'm... But, like, reading this book, it kind of makes me think, you know, whenever I was talking about A Pirate's Love, I was like, BDSM scene, BDSM scene. Yeah. But I think there are people who, like, don't consider themselves a part of the BDSM scene who are, like, excited by the idea of being mortified or, Mm -hmm. you know... Can you be interested in BDSM without knowing that you're interested in BDSM? I I mean, obviously, but, like, being, like, an adult... I don't know. It's just like pervasive in these books. Is everyone into it of un certain age? Like, is this just like a reflection of the era that like people like Lisa Claypas grew up in? And now like, you know, people who grew up with very special episodes of television that dealt with rape, like Degrassi and mm-hmm. stuff. Are we just the ones who are like, no, no. Like, if you like that, you should go into this silo of activity. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with that the latter point because as a whole we're more i would assume to say that we are more accepting and through that acceptance creation of those silos as you put it have manifested (laughs) yeah and it's not to say that there aren't dangers within all of those but it has also formed like to some extent like an open and accepting place for those people. It's not yeah. just like, you know, in the 60s and 50s where everything was swept under the rug. Yeah. And you had to, like, secretly find a place and at some point, you know, risk social defamation and even, like, physical harm yeah. for some of those things. And now it's it's not, like, public and there's, like, everything that's being talked about, but you can certainly, through at least the internet, find mm-hmm. a place that you can express yourself in that manner. Yeah. Hopefully. And there are assholes in every community, but I do think it's worth mentioning that, like, a serial killer in Canada was recently uncovered by, like, finding his first victims through S&M communities. Yeah. I mean, it's just a so drag. That's the downside, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate <laughs> that in a place where these people have gone... But at least people who do it correctly... Yeah. ...are better off, I yeah, imagine. Yeah, it's... As opposed to just kind of hoping yeah. that the person you're with, like, gets it... Right. ...and doesn't go overboard. Yeah. At least there's... I would like to say an increased level of perceived safety in those communities that have been created yeah. instead of just having to like blindly shoot in the dark for things like that. Yeah. But the book, this book more than like other books that I've read makes a really big point about the fact that she's enjoying it and that she wants it and that she's allowing it to happen and in her internal monologue or whatever. But like you have to take it like in its full context and like he doesn't know that. Yeah. Which is interesting. And that made me think because there's one point that I can recall in the book and it's towards the end I think after the miscarriage where mm-hmm. he finally gets her to like talk and her sister leaves and they finally yeah. like have a conversation and I think he like pulls her onto his lap and she's got food there on the side and the cook had made like some pudding and so they like engage in oral sex he puts the raspberry inside of yeah, her several and I was that was surprising <laughs> that I did not expect I was like the raspberry scene is what Whoa. everyone brings up too. Yeah, that is intense. Not like with his fingers either. Yeah, no. Like puts them in with his mouth. Yeah, and then takes them back out. With his mouth. With his mouth. And he calls it, like he says, he's having his dessert. Which is so, cliche. Like, come like, on, you, you could have thought of a better term for that. What would be the better term for it? Oh, also, like maybe just don't say anything at all. No, but I think I think it was important in that part because later on, when he goes to put her to bed and she wants to have sex, he's like, "No, you're gonna get a yeast infection. You're full of tiny raspberry seeds." <laughs> 
he doesn't want to have sex. He tells her that he wants her to like rest or whatever. And she, you know, pulls him into the bed and she makes a point to say aloud that it's time for her to have her dessert. That's like the one time where she's like verbal about her like expressed desire to have sex. Yeah, it is. Which I thought was important. I think that is important that it comes after her miscarriage. Maybe it's like her first assurance that he's like into it. Yeah. Because she's not really sure about their marriage or their relationship at any point. Or anything. She's, before that. She constantly questions herself. The sex scenes in this book are really buck wild. Yeah. And I did not realize that when I told you to read it, you have read some of the most intense sex I wondered. I've ever read. I was, I was I, not expecting it. And also, like, her descriptions of stuff, of, like, anatomy, she does not shy away from the male anatomy in a way that was surprising and striking to me. Yeah. What I did find, and maybe this is just me, what I thought was a little foolish, is that she never referred to them as vaginas or penises or cocks or anything like that like i think his penis is called the male sex almost the entire time really yeah i see i don't even know that do you know i think she calls it like a pulsating member like once or twice but i was just i thought that was interesting (laughs) she she describes his testicles it says gently she cupped the fuzz covered pouch at the base of his sex (laughs) fuzz covered pouch That's pretty great. Oh, that's Stiffly right. Stiffly bobbing weight. Instead of saying they spoon, she says they laid in spoon fashion. Her the breasts are described as a resilient plumpness. Or her vagina is often called her brunette curls or something. Yeah, yeah. It's her pubic hair is like the signpost. Abundant mounds, my favorite phrase in the entire book. Her breasts plumped out. Plump. Plumping is a verb. That's the sound that plumping breasts makes. Plumped, whenever they plump out, sotto voce. Yeah. I did mark one point where the book felt like a little Mary Sue to me. (laughs) It's describing how Jack feels about her as like her editor and her publisher. And he writes, Amanda was easy to work with. She did not harbor great pretensions about herself or her writing. In fact, she was relatively modest about her talents to the extent of appearing surprised and uncomfortable when he praised her. It's like classic Mary Sue shit where someone's like very capable and talented, but constantly being like, ooh. Which is unbecoming. Unbecoming, yeah. Mary Sue's aren't fun. But it's kind of like what you're asking for whenever you're a writer writing about writers. The levels. (laughs) You're like, it's kind of inevitable. So what was the weirdest part of this book for you? I guess, and like I would think, like offhand at that question, I would say like a sex scene. Like I would think, oh, this anal sex scene was weird. But I think for me, like its placement within the book was the entire, like, at least for me, because I read it on my phone, like two or three or maybe even four pages of Amanda describing what it was like to be stuck listening to Stevenson explain his life. Like, that was like, why is that here? That's so unnecessary. I was just like, this is so weird. Why does this guy even hear? You felt like it was like an unnecessary it was, part of the book. For me, I thought it was totally unnecessary. Like, why did you need that setup? You could have just said they arrived at the party. I guess she made it so that Jack was kind of like her savior in that moment, but yeah. That wasn't necessary. Why wasn't it necessary to make Jack a savior? Because Jack's character 
throughout the book as someone that's like abrasive and blunt and kind of takes and gets what he wants, so to speak. And so that setup to like preface him for Amanda didn't seem natural with the rest of the book. And she's not that way either. I mean, she kind of falls into it sometimes with like her, when she's describing the sex that she's having, like the sex scenes as she's experiencing it. Like she's kind of that way about Jack. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he's like seen as like this rough and tumble, like get whatever he wants type of guy. Yeah. People don't actually see like blah, blah, blah. Brutal like, capitalist. Fucking rom-com descriptions of things. And I just was like, that's not Amanda. Yeah, I noted one point where I was like, this sounds so much like you've got mail. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the hell? It's like ye old ye got mail. Ye got mail. But I think the weirdest part for me was how like righty tidy the politics of this book are. Yeah. Like he's very much celebrated for being this like ideal capitalist mm -hmm. and eventually convinces everyone that his way is the right way. And he gets like revenge on the gentry, which I don't mind. At all. But it's fuck still, his like, dad. Fuck his dad. Fuck his dad. But also like fuck him. These bookstore owners, they all have an agreement that keeps them all in money and he just undercuts them with prices and he's like this is the way it goes and he's like celebrated in the book for doing this and also there's a point where like she says like no children are mistakes or no child is a mistake and I was like oh like, I understand the context in which she's trying to tell him right. that he's not a mistake. Right, and he's a good person, and he deserved to be born, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. He's making his way in the world. Yeah. But also, accidents happen, people! They're <laughs> fucking real! <laughs> They're real! This is a real-world situation. And also, just the fact of, what's his name? Her, like, nice guy who she doesn't want to fuck. Charles Hartley. Charles Hartley. Chartley, as they say. Chartley. <laughs> More like fartly, right? <laughs> so bland. So bland. He totally gets shifted. But he's like totally presented as this like fine, upstanding, like perfect man. Gentleman, as he yeah. is described. And she's like, calls him like, like not handsome, but interesting to look at. Yeah. He's, he's the sort of man that one would marry because he shares her interests. God, if someone said that to you, if they were like, you're not handsome or interesting, but you're the type of guy somebody would marry. I would walk away from that person. We kind of messed up, right? That's super fucked up. And I think that's like ultimately how I understood the book to be working is like Amanda and Jack are kind of dicks. Mm-hmm, definitely. She had this opportunity to, like, move away and start a new life and have her baby, which I thought for sure sounded like a happily ever after. Do you know what I loved about this book? I love the fucking framing. <laughs> that she goes and gets herself a little birthday present. I love Gemma being so charmed by it and thinking, like, these two dicks deserve each other. And so, like, tomfoolering them into a meeting. But also, Gemma, like, how do you run your business if you keep doing these, like, matchmaking pranks? Yeah, no shit. Like you and she, I guess she's, Here's living, an alternative. she's living off that book. She's living off that book. She doesn't have to worry about getting hers no Which, more. please write that book. Yeah, it'd be cool if this book like existed. Somebody out there, write this book. Lisa Clayposs, I know you're listening. Lisa Clayposs, please. For me, first time romance novelist, novel reader, not novelist. I could never write romance novels. Why? Because you could never write any novel? Or is it specific to romance novels? Uh, it's probably any novel just because <laughs> I don't have the patience. Yeah. Or the detailed imagination to <laughs> define every piece of furniture. You could write like a very gruff textbook. <laughs> <laughs> that would make the student feel like they were getting in trouble while they were yeah. reading it. Is this is this the right book? <laughs> did I get a did I get a prank copy? 
I feel like the writer of this textbook thinks I'm a bad person for not already knowing this. I also feel like he thinks he's wasting his time. Is this physics 101? I feel like he said fucking idiots like 37 times. times. It's page four. It's like parenthetical most of the time and not even in the flow of the text. He called Isaac Newton a self-possessed asshole. He's the father. You kind of have to be a self-possessed asshole to be an Isaac Newton. Well, yeah. Like I mean, you have anyone to... that claims to have discovered a science. Or like being willing to be like, you know, like everyone knew about gravity without being conscious of it. And this guy to be like, it's a whole fucking thing and it's my thing now. Mm-hmm. Right. That brings up the point as to, you know, where's the line between confidence and knowledge and narcissism? Like, where is that? Is there a line? I don't think they're I, mutually I, I excuses. Exclusive. I had this discussion with someone, and I don't think it's a line. I think it's it's a different plane per se. Love there of is my a life. It does happen. LJ, I was talking to her on the phone today, and she mm. said she discovered some childhood diaries and remembered that as she was writing them, she had the assumption that she was going to be famous, <laughs> and she was like writing for like at dual purposes of making everyone who wronged her regret it. <laughs> And also making sure she got the story straight, all while portraying herself as the like super cool, famous person she was inevitably going to be. That's a level of foreshadowing that I would call narcissism. <laughs> I would say that's narcissism. Are you gonna call LJ a narcissist? I am in that instance. I would never call LJ a narcissist. What would you call that? I would call it being like a child. Aren't all children narcissists? I suppose. But also, how else do you get through life? Like. Self-confidence is critical. I think that's super true. Like, Do you know what fucking sucks, though? Everyone telling you you should just have it and it'll fix shit. Yeah. He's like, what, am I going to go to the fucking self-confidence tree? Pick off a self-confidence apple? Right. Just stuff my fat, hideous face with it? <laughs> I hate me. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't fucking think so. Yeah, it's annoying. The lack of understanding there is... But people are always saying, Do you know who's always telling you you should just have self-confidence? Your grandma. Narcissist. I feel like what we said was the same thing. Yeah. Your grandma's a narcissist. Oh my God, my favorite story. I'm so sad that we were fighting during your graduation party, so I refused to attend because I would have loved to see your grandma going around taking credit for your college graduation. I don't remember us fighting during that. Yeah. Well, don't tell me why, because I don't remember it. You apologized for it. And like a really beautiful, perfect apology. You didn't make eye contact, but you did it. Well, excellent. Yay me. Yeah. Hashtag narcissist. <laughs> Hashtag narcissist. I don't even remember what it was. Well, there you go. Um, we don't feud, listeners. It's not a thing that happens. <laughs> We're perfect in every way. <laughs> we work. We don't just, like, become infuriated and then shut the other person out. Like, I think we're really good at identifying when one of us has shut the other person out. And then we, like, immediately are like, you know what? That's a swinging door, asshole. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, like, hold the fucking phone. That's two months later. You calm down yet? (laughs) No. No. Me neither. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. Die in a hole. Let's go get drinks. I need a drink. (laughs) That's very true. That is very true. I mean, it's fine. We're here now. Yeah. It's all downhill from here. Inevitably. True. She lives on a hill. (laughs) Pushing down it. Can we talk about... (laughs) Back to the book. Can we talk about how, at the end specifically, he is... And she notes this like once or twice 
supportive, like overly supportive, like to the point where it's nice. <laughs> like, what do you mean overly supportive? I guess overly is a bad term, but like as she describes it, he is like constantly and exceedingly supportive of everything. Like, yeah, she, mm-hmm. he gives her credit. He like yeah. shoves her into being like editor in chief of a new magazine and like has this perfect plan. And it works out for right. like making yeah. people and then, take her seriously. You know, all of the gossip is that it couldn't have been her; it was him, and he is constantly. Oh, and it's revealed that he was lying to her, and that he's significantly younger than her. Oh yeah, yeah, five years. I guess that's not significant. I'm sorry, that's. But it is in the. I mean, it is, it is in, in the, the context book. of this book. Yeah, and she gets really upset because when they first met, she like looked at him. And she was like, "God, you're pretty young." He was like, "How old are you?" And she was like, "30." And he was like, "I'm 31. Cool." Ha yeah. ha. <laughs> Perfect. And she's like, wow, men do age better than women. <laughs> On to the next thing. Yeah. And then a gossip columnist says that she's like a cougar, basically. Yeah. And she's like, can you believe they're saying this? And he's like, no. My birth records are kind of dicey because my mom was Irish or whatever. Yeah, that's like how he puts it, too. He's like, well, <laughs> my uh, birth records might be in a safe in the bottom of the ocean from <laughs> an Irish frigate ship, you know? <laughs> There's or maybe no they say that I'm 25 and they're, like, easily accessible. The point is, we'll never know. We'll never know. But you shouldn't worry that I am younger than you. I'm definitely younger than you. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, about five years. Five yeah, years, five give years. or it's, it's not a lot, which it's not, but in the book. And to her, it's a it's lot. A yeah, it's a lot in that historical context, whenever you consider that, like, most men were significantly older than their wives. Right, and as I was going through this I was trying to picture in my head like what the average lifespan was because <laughs> I'm like is it 45 like is that is she a spinster like is she actually I think the wealthy class actually like lived about as long as we did it was just like the serfdom or whatever right. I know there wasn't a serfdom don't at me at her <laughs> um there was a lot of stuff in this book that I was like show don't tell which feels like very undergrad creative writing workshop. But for instance, um, in the book, it said Jack and Jim Bradshaw. So it's talking about how Jack goes to talk to Jim to find out why she sent him to Amanda's mm-hmm. house. It says they'd become friends, each relishing the opportunity to talk with brutal honesty. In Jim's company, Jack was able to discard all social niceties that usually prevented people from speaking plainly to each other. And it was like, yeah, but like that just happens in the book. Like you didn't have to give me like a setup. Like get ready because in Jim's company, Jack is going to be able to discard all social niceties. Like just like show don't tell. Yeah, that does make it seem like she was writing that for her. It kind of gummed up the works. But do you know what's never gummed up in this book? The sex scene. They're like a bullet train. Mm -hmm. They're punchy as fuck. They're very good. Although I was distracted by stuff like Fuzzy's pouch at the base of his sex. Mm -hmm. Like that was a lot. No one to be descriptive. Also, she gives money to Cockneys so that they don't have to carol anymore. Yeah. Like, this book very much, like, incites me to class warfare, except whenever there's a sex scene. Speaking of which... Which, maybe there should be class warfare. Oh my god. Amanda displayed a healthy appetite. Apparently it was one of the privileges of spinsterhood that a woman could eat well in public. She was so natural and straightforward. A refreshing change from the other sophisticated women he had known. There's this thing in romance novels where they always have to shit all over other women who are just trying to make it work. Yeah. You know? It's kind of this like modern idea of like, ah, she's awesome. She eats cheeseburgers and buffalo wings. Have you seen that Inside Amy Schumer sketch where she's like a woman in a flannel shirt at a bar and she just like disgustingly eats a cheeseburger 
cheeseburger and mm. buffalo wings. The whole sketch is this like table of guys talking about how hot she is. And then at the end, they're like, do we just want to fuck each other? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, do. they do. But very important question. What was the sexiest part of this book? For me, it was... Swear to God, if you say her freedom. That's a, that's a flashback to the, the Pirates. <laughs> Super fan Sean! It's a flashback to the Pirates. Pulling out! Okay. <sighs> um, for me, it was the first time they had oral sex. I think that's at the point where he's getting her to go through... The book? The Bradshaw book. Oh. And she's like super concerned. It reads as if she is like absolutely flabbergasted that his mouth is moving south of her chest. So classic romance yeah, novel. She's just like freaking out. Absolutely freaking out. And then he gets down there and she's just exacerbated immediately. Like that's basically mortified. Described. Yeah. That's one of those times I think she uses the word mortified. Yeah. For me it was described in a way that, you know, you could feel and understand the passion. So that was my sexiest scene. I wanna look that one up. Did you highlight it? You I should I, I hope you highlighted it. That's the whole point of these books. I returned to the wrist kissing scene from Beast the other day. I love <laughs> it. I just think it's so good. I guess the sexiest part for me was whenever she gave the money to those Cockney kids. Shut up. It was the raspberry scene. We all know it. <laughs> the raspberry scene really freaked me out actually. <laughs> I didn't like it. I thought it was nice that they got a little freaky. Good for them. But no, it was not my favorite. I'm kind of embarrassed, but the part that I thought was sexiest is also the part where it talks about her breast plumping out. <laughs> you just have an affinity for the word plump. You know, I do like the word plump. It's a nice word. It's got some nice round sounds to it. Plump. They start making out in a room at his party, which is quite scandalous. Indeed. And he asks her if he can go home with her. That was my favorite part. That is when they first had sex. It's just before. It's right before they get in the carriage and have right. sex, yeah. Because she talks about like how it's the most excruciatingly long two hours. Yeah. Ever. That sounds she like... She just wants to kick some kids. Yeah, I think she specifically says, I'd like to kick a child. Yeah. Well, she wants to kick them out. So horny I am. She wants to kick them out. So horny I am, I want to kick these exactly. kids. Children are always in the way of sex. <laughs> always in the way. Constantly. You go to a Chuck E. Cheese, you're just trying to get laid, and there's kids everywhere. It's like, get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah, but damn. Lisa Claypass, I've read another one of her books, and the sex scenes were not nearly this good. Really? Yeah. Devil in Winter, and people like lost their mind over that book, and that's why I read it, and I think the sex scenes are like, meh. Did this one come before or after? Before. Well before. Kim has a theory that Lisa Claypaw's heart isn't in it anymore. My friend Kim. Isn't that sad? It is sad. Because it's really good. I haven't found the sex scene I'm thinking of, but this, I think, leads up to it. Where they're talking about performing some of the sex acts from Gemma's book. Yeah. And he's trying to get her to tell him what she wants to do, and she's refuting him and then, like, asks him what he wants to do. So he goes, he closed his hands around her ankles, pulling her toward him. I have fantasies that involve every part of you, your hair, your mouth, and breasts, even your feet. My feet, she jolted. Oh, yeah, yeah the foot stuff. Yeah. The foot stuff. That, that was probably the funniest part of the entire book, where she's just, my feet. She doesn't even know what he's going to do to her butt later. Yeah, she has no idea. <laughs> Butts haven't even been brought up. She's so concerned about her feet. feet. I love that. A good foot shout out. Yeah. Hey, everybody likes something. Everybody likes something. If you haven't had your toes sucked, you should make that happen for yourself, listeners. Just try it. Just feel it out. Just feel it out. Find that cool person that you, know, you want 
to have their mouth around your big toe. If you're looking for inspiration, Flavor of Love, Flava Flav was very into New York's feet. And I remember <laughs> watching a scene where he sucks on her toes in a bathtub and they both talk about how much they like that. And I was like, that's so nice. Also, in the series, you're the worst. He's got a foot fetish. Interesting. Honestly, in a world where like furries are constantly wrecking the Tony the Tiger Twitter account, like a foot fetish seems like a pretty nice thing to have. That's funny. And he does suck on her toes in this book. I was worried he was gonna put her feet together. Yeah, do the cupping thing. Cupping thing is a nice way to put it. I was just gonna say fuck her arches. <laughs> That's, long story short, arch fucking. <laughs> arch fucking, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good one. So what did you think? What are your final thoughts on your first ever romance novel? Have you ever read um, erotica or any kind of sex scenes like this before? No. Really? No, I have not. Nothing has been this detailed. What was it like? like were you able to enjoy it or were you just constantly like... <laughs> no, I think I was able to enjoy it. Like okay. I could appreciate... Did you read it on a plane like you said you were going to? I did. I did read the first part on a plane. And then the rest of it I read either on the bus or the train. So... I always... This reading was entirely public for me. <laughs> did you ever get nervous that people would know? No. I don't care. <laughs> I'm a grown adult. Leave me alone. I'm a grown adult getting off in public. Yeah. Chill. I'm not hurting anybody. Quit being such a Puritan. <sighs> Fucking fascist. Just let me leave this little sponge on the public transit seat. <laughs> Get up. No. Yes. That's what you were doing to people. No, it's not. It's not at all what I was doing. <laughs> So you said you grew up in a family, your mom and all of the women on your mom's side of the family read Danielle Steele. Yeah, and I was not aware as to what those were, to be honest, until like college. Really? Yeah. That's I okay. Not. It's kind of interesting, like I would be surprised if it like came up on your radar before then. I would be surprised. Yeah, yeah I was just not aware. What do you think of them, like as a genre? As a genre? I, honestly, I think they're great. Obviously they cater to a large enough demographic where they have their own award ceremony so <laughs> they're doing something right there's definitely a solid demographic i would love to hear more about how people get into it like the interview that isabeau did a while back that was fantastic how writers start yeah, writing just, romance yeah because like everyone talks about like stephen king and, and people that do traditional cocaine novels traditional cocaine novels but like nobody really goes into detail there is i don't know if you listen to criminal yeah so those people they also do another podcast now called love and one of their mm -hmm. episodes is about you know i listen to love yeah we've talked about this yeah my memory's not great <laughs> yeah you're able to recall like every character in the book oh that's because i've read it recently but anyway on the podcast love shout out love they interview a woman who does write romance novels and like interviews her mm, and her husband mm -hmm. about how that has affected their relationship and how she kind of got into it and stuff like that so i thought that was fantastic yeah it was good i think it's important to like that women are voicing their desires however like complicated and messy they seem whenever we try to pick apart the text i think it's wonderful yeah Certainly. I mean... Has it changed anything for you? Changed anything? Has your, like, perspective shifted? Have your assumptions about people changed? Have your preferences changed? I don't think my preferences have changed. I think my assumptions about the genre have changed mm -hmm. in being solely a listener to this podcast is my 
information to romance novels. I kind of <laughs> beforehand thought they were just like some cliche thing for old housewives. Yeah. Know? Just like the typical, like, look, this middle-aged suburban mom is bored because she's unsatisfied. You mean those assumptions about your own mom? I did not until just now. <laughs> so that's unruly. <laughs> it's going to be a lot to work through later on. And then in listening to this, I've at least found the humor within it, but also some of the societal characteristics and points have been made, which I thought were interesting. But in reading them, I can see now how they have like a profound effect on a global society. Yeah. Instead of just being a book on the shelf for... It's greater than the sum of its parts. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Are you going to read another romance novel? I think if you send one my way, I would. Yeah? Yeah. Final thoughts. Is this a womance or a nomance for you? <sighs> Man, this is the toughie. This one I've been thinking Really? About. Yeah. Yeah, because... That's a womance for me. I think I have to... I do have to put it in a womance corner. Yeah, you got to put it in the womance corner. Put it in the womance corner. The sex scenes are very good. The The framework of the story is very good. I actually like that she ended up with this like nice guy alternative. She didn't really get to make a choice as much as I would have appreciated because the dude she was going to end up with is like, no, you've got to get permission from the guy who impregnated you first. And then the yeah. guy who impregnated her does not give her a choice. He's just like, we're going to be together now. Yeah, that was tough. That goes back to like a whole different <laughs> level of like, that's a lot to dig into. Discussion for me, right? Like, <laughs> a woman clearly wrote this, so it goes back to that level. <laughs> Do you um, feel like it's hard for you to be, like, critical of anything? Because a woman writing about women's choices and a woman's body and... A thousand percent, yeah. Yeah? Yes. Okay, yeah, we won't bring so. you back on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> you provided a lot of good perspectives. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Oh, one of the things we were talking about, I do want to touch on this just in case it's good content. We were talking the other day, Isabeau and our friend Kim and I, about how romance influences their lives because the two of them have been reading since they were like kids. Since they were impressionable 11 year olds. Right. Kim said that romances have made a mark on like her expectations for relationships. And she always felt like she immediately had too high of standard because she always thought like, if a man does not think about me the way these men think about, these heroes think about the heroines, then like, what's the point? Ah, oh, that's unfortunate. To Do me, you... that sounds unfortunate. It's like a forced dynamic, right? Like it's a perspective that prevents her from, for lack of a better term, seeing like actual people. Like not to say that, yeah. that men can't be like the... It's something she's gotten over, I want to say for the record. But do you think like the imagining of a male's inner psyche is unfair or unrealistic in these books? Do you think like thinking, I'm sorry, you're in a relationship. This is a hard thing to admit, I imagine. But do you think it's unfair like how much he thinks about and he articulates all the ways that she's wonderful and how clearly no. that is represented? No, I don't think that simply because there are instances where I guess, and this goes back to like the fucking cliche of like finding that person, right? Like you find that person oh. for you. So you think there is someone who you can think about in the way that a hero thinks about a heroine in these books, but it's just gotta be the person. No, I don't think it has to be the person. I fully believe that there are multiple people that that could be, but you have to get to know that person 
or any, I don't think it can be any person, but. But you think like everyone has the capacity to think in this way about yeah. a partner, really? Yeah, I would think so. If you find that partner and want that partner, that's not to say like everyone has that desire, but I think mm. there's the opportunity for that is there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's... Do you think it's like a romantically minded individual who thinks about their partner in that way? Because our hero in this book is constantly thinking about not just how sexy she is with her short legs and her round body, but how intelligent she is and how professional she is. Right, 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 right. She's such a good employee. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's (laughs) a weird piece. Yeah. But no, and that's, that's the point I was trying to get at in the epilogue where they're discussing, you know, her being successful as the editor of the magazine yeah and you know the the gossip column is you know saying oh it must have been jack it couldn't have actually been her like tell us the truth and he's constantly saying no it was her like the level of support is there yeah and i think that exists like yeah that for sure it definitely does and i think that openness to the other person and that the supporting the level of support that another person feels for another person creates that scenario like that level of of caring mm. and and intimacy and respect like that's for me that's what it boils down to like you can't expect it to be like long internal monologues about why you're so great right yeah and yeah that, that for me was like a larger region of of why this was kind of a romance i would say yeah because it wasn't traditionally what i would have expected just being like a lustful book like yeah. when you say romance novel i feel like most men certainly think it's just a thing full of lust it's like women's porn like that's still yeah, yeah, what yeah. i think most men would say yeah well and that's not, this book showed me certainly that that's not what that is, at least in this context. Or maybe like, like in order to understand like pornography, we'd have to have like a very specific definition that maybe this book could fall under because maybe yeah, I mean, desire is formulated differently. Correct. I think this just gets into a, like an emotional level of intimacy and desire that is not at least what I think a romance novel is about. So going back to your earlier point, about Kim and her preconceived notions about what a relationship could be could be or should be has to be is that I do think it's set a high bar but it's not an unreachable bar if you think about it in terms of like how affection is actually shown rather than how it's articulated yeah right that gets to the point that's a nice that's a nice way of thinking about it and you think think that's imperative right like if you want yeah. A successful relationship. Yeah. You know, it's got to be there. It's got to be fundamental. It can't just be like subsequent, which this kind of felt subsequent. Yeah, it definitely. He felt more than he shared. Yeah, he felt more than he showed. Yeah. He felt more than he did, which is an issue in that sense. But going back, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's an acceptable and attainable relationship. Which is important. Do you think it's important? That Fuck yeah, it's important. That these books show an acceptable and attainable relationship? Yeah. Or can, or can they be like pie in the sky impossibility? I think that that goes back to um, rape fantasies being a fantasy. Obviously, they can just show pie in the sky because people are going to want to read that. Solely that. It's, a book is an escape at its heart, right? Yeah. You're looking to get away or get into something else. I don't know. There's something about the emotional problem that strikes me more than like the idea of like a lustful fantasy. What do you mean? The idea of like the fantasy of a relationship being unattainable is different for me than like the idea of like a lustful relationship being unattainable and more problematic. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. 
Well, for me, it's it's like the emotional one is obviously more critical to like a person's well-being and more difficult to attain just in general, whereas pretty much anyone can find a lustful relationship if they really, really want it. And also maybe like if, they're, if they don't really, really want it, and they just true. happen to be wearing shorts on the street. <laughs> I yeah, know. there's, there's that whole can of worms. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on the show with me, Sean. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you for reading the book. Oh, I, I loved it. I was glad to be invited cool. to do so. Well, if you want another one. Throw one my way. Make it a Western this time. You want a what? I know. I should have done a Western. Okay, I'll give you some Beverly Jenkins. You'll love it. All right. If you want to learn more about Womance, you can follow us. We are at Womance Pod on Twitter. Sean is voting in the polls. You should vote too. And we're also on Instagram at Womance. And you can send us a letter if you want. If you want to talk to us a bunch, you can email us at WomanceMail at gmail.com. And with that, I want to wish you all a and remind you to loosen your stays but never your principles. Mwah! Mwah! Hey folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.